0: You're listening to CPC Together, a podcast by Central Peninsula Church in the San Francisco Bay Area. One, two, three. Just kidding. Here we are. One, two, three. That was, a, that was an in sync clap. That was fantastic. In I wish instinct. I wish all of you could see our setup right now because we're in kind of an <laughs> echoey room. So in fact, in fact, I'm gonna take a I wonder if I can take a picture without this uh, stopping. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Uh there's a pillow, there's a big partition. I can just see the the just Kevin's head like barely peeking out. Um anyway. Um it's high tech here. High tech. Yeah, we are. Welcome everybody back to the CPC Together podcast. We are excited and today we don't have a guest. It's None. just us two. We were I was just feeling like um I wasn't getting enough alone uh, enough, time. Yeah. Yeah. I we wanted, need a little of that. I wanted some just me and Kev, you know, Kevy and Brandy, without all the Do you still listen to that by the way, the the jingle? I, it's actually my
1: ringtone now. Is it is the jingle so if you when call, I call you the jingle goes off. Yeah. Uh, it um, was either that or my alarm for waking up and I opted <laughs> I wouldn't hear it as enough if I was just my
0: alarm. Uh you talked a lot about um this this whole story thinking about like the friends aspect of it and you kind of you kind of mentioned you know, what it would be like if these like college friends just got together and came up with these crazy ideas. Did you ever have, were you ever like part of a fraternity or like anything Uh, like that? I was not, I
1: was so in college, I was a commuter student. So I just went to, you know, we had a William Jessup university. I lived like, I don't know, 10 minutes away from it. And so I just commuted in and I, I'll be honest, my introvert in college kicked in pretty hard. And so I just kind of went to class and then left. I didn't hang out on campus much. So you, um, you uh, kind of missed out on having, I mean, I had college friends. That sounded really depressing, <laughs> didn't <laughs> but you meet I, Linz, didn't like, didn't you meet Lindsay in college? I yeah, mean, I met Lindsay. Actually, what's did you ironic meet her, like, at the library in the theology section <laughs> or like, <laughs> no. So here's what's cool about <laughs> Lindsay and I in college. I just today had a memory on Facebook pop up and I had posted my report card. I came across my old report card on the semester that I met Lindsay and in there, hang on. I should just bring it up real quick. In there, it was hilarious. It was the semester I met Lindsay, and I had had um, I had straight like great grades in every class. Gosh darn, I can't bring it up quick enough. Um, where oh, I can't find it, it's losing its touch. But I had like A's and B's in every class except for the one class that I met Lindsay. I got a C minus in. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know where your focus was at. at oh, 100. And I'm convinced my professor the only reason I got a C minus and didn't like flunk out of the class is because he knew that me and Lindsay were getting together and she, he was a big fan of Lindsay and hopefully a decent fan of me, but shout out Ken Logan, a great professor who, who let me almost flunk his child and adolescent psych class to, to meet <laughs> Lindsay.
0: And that's what, that's like kind of the career that Lindsay ended up going into. So she was a path. Yeah. She must've done really well. in yeah, that class. I mean, she got an A. Yeah. She did fine. <laughs> so she, she, was she wasn't enamored described. with you as you were with yeah. her.
1: exactly yeah i was much more yeah much more so so we made it
0: that's awesome what about you did you have it like what did i'm trying to think of college brandy you know i um i i was a commuter student too i went to willie j but i went to the music department and they just started they had just started william jessup when i was there yeah Yeah. it was was Jose christian college before that Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I just wasn't super vibing with the with the music department at the time, so I went to Sac State, and I also lived far away. I lived in Citrus Shout Heights. Shout out to the Hornets, Sac State <laughs> Hornets, right? I don't dude, dude, I don't even know. I was a music <laughs> student there, but I, um, yeah, I commuted in from Citrus Heights, which I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend living at least back then in Citrus Heights. I got my my apartment broken into, and oh. it was crazy. But um, my community came from. Yeah, I mean, I, I had stupid friends in high school. I just feel like we would just do dumb stuff. Like we weren't, we you weren't. Gotta, you can't just say that and not name at least one dumb story. We weren't, we weren't like bad. Like we were scared of of doing bad things, like yeah. drinking and stealing. Like we didn't want to do that kind of stuff, but yeah. we would just do like we would do dumb stuff, like stuff that junior high kids would do, but we were in high school. Like we, I remember one time we we stole one of my little brother's stuffed animals and we um, we were i guess i guess we were playing hacky sack with it And we were like you know it would be so much cooler is if this was on fire and so we found <laughs> we found gasoline and uh, or maybe i don't even think it was gasoline i think we were like my buddy you know, this was in iowa so like we were at some like farm and uh, and we found like kerosene <laughs> and we just is. doused that thing in kerosene and lit it on fire and tried to play hacky sack with it you know, we tried to play hacky sack, fire, <laughs> with this little teddy bear. Um The other thing we did was we played we found I don't even know where we found these, but these giant darts, like I think it's the lawn yeah, yeah, darts. Yeah. yeah. And we would we would throw them at each other. Like it was kind of like a fun game. We'd throw them at each other and we never hit, but I'm just thinking, what were we thinking? Well, you weren't, you certainly weren't (laughs) thinking like that's I think the point. Oh gosh. Anyway. So I don't know if the friends in the, in the story, these friends seemed like a little bit more uh, like they had, like they had each other's goodwill at heart. Yeah. They at least had the right intentions, but still I think there's, there's a, there's an
1: interesting dynamic of their story of like, I just envision them again, right? The text talks about Jesus inside this house preaching. It's packed. The crowd's spilling out into the crowd. And they're just like, you know, somebody's like, hey, I got an idea. Yeah. What if we dug a hole in the roof <laughs> and just dropped him down? And then you just sense all the guys like, it's killer, man. That's a great idea. <laughs> Let's do it. And well, so they have that the, plan.
0: If you think about the cool part of this, so the, all these guys had, assuming that they don't have, they're not paralyzed. So they have this friend who's paralyzed and they say, this is our chance to get you healed. And they're yeah. like, there's no way we'll get you up to Jesus. The security will stop us or whatever's going yeah. on. Yeah. So yeah, I,
1: I like it. I like the heart behind it. There is a goodwill there, right? There's that yeah. sense of, and I, I drew that out a little bit And like, there's a kind of a beautiful desperation you see in these friends um, that probably speaks again to their faith, which is what Jesus identifies. Um, but probably also the, the situation of the paralyzed friend, um, where probably, I imagine it was desperate if they're at the point where they're you know quite literally digging holes in the roof. Which, interesting though, I didn't mention on Sunday, the literal phrase in the Greek for digging the roof was unroofing the roof. Which oh, I thought geez. was an interesting way to talk about digging a hole. But, so for these friends to like unroof the roof, right, there was a sense of desperation. And like, we've got to get our buddy into the presence of Jesus. Uh, which, yeah, certainly is, is maybe better intentioned than lighting your friends stuffed animal on fire and did, uh, for a good time. <laughs> did you say
0: that you thought that that this was maybe Peter's house?
1: Yeah, the, scholars don't really know exactly what's meant when it says that Jesus went home and one of, the, one of the thoughts, actually by multiple scholars I looked at were claiming that it might be Peter's house uh, which is really interesting again of like Jesus good buddy and now there's like a <laughs> hole in the roof.
0: because yeah. <laughs> you talk about forgiveness, I'm wondering if Peter had much forgiveness yeah. for like, okay, <laughs> Like clearly Jesus needed to heal it's this cool, guy, guys. but did you have to go through the roof? Yeah, I might, I might be kind of
1: mad. Yeah, I imagine that, that'd be fair. That'd be fair. But roofs were a little different then than they are now. But so. you had,
0: you kind of like, um, you, you asked us kind of a, you left us with a kind of a crucial question, which, which people do, I, do we identify with in the story? And you said there's, there's the crowd mm-hmm. or there's the scribes. Explain that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so, you know, as we're talking about this, the, the two um, groups of people, audiences in this story, is it seems like the way Mark's writing is he's wanting to um, kind of place the crowd, which I'm, I'm using the four friends as emblematic of the crowd that's there, right? Desperate to get into the presence of Jesus, wanting to, to encounter him, all that. So they're kind of representative of the crowd. And then there's also these teachers of the law or the scribes. Um, who are this other crowd that I actually think Mark is placing kind of front and center
0: in the text, which, by the way, is very interesting because I've heard yeah. this story a lot of times and I always, yeah, it was always emphasized the paralyzed guy, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's what you always think of the story. They dropped it down through the roof, isn't that crazy? Yeah, but yeah, as you really look at it, they keep bringing it back. You keep bringing it back. It's sort of the center point. Yeah, yeah, is the scribe situation it's the scribes, and part of the reason I think that is one, they're the ones
1: with the most. Um, airtime, if you will, in the, in the actual text. Like they take up the most real estate, the most amount of words, uh, which is one of those indicators. As well as, again, Mark is opening this section of, of his gospel where Jesus is beginning to face opposition for the first time. So you see it here in, in the text, chapter 2, 1 through 12. And you'll see uh, in the next text when Jesus calls the disciples, some of the more disciples to follow him, um, and he begins to eat with sinners you'll see the Pharisees um, question him, say, hey, why? who are you to eat with sinners and those on the outside? And then later on, Jesus will do that again when he starts talking about the Sabbath, and he'll face opposition in that sense. So, so it seems like Mark is starting to open up that idea of opposition to the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. And the scribes, that's what they're doing in this text. They're opposing Jesus' action, the action of the kingdom of God. And so that's where I really think the point of this particular 12 verses is is jesus uses the occasion of this forgiveness of the of sins of the paralyzed man and his physical healing as a way for him to oppose the scribes mm. and what they're doing um, and so in the way that mark writes you see these two groups kind of placed against one another the crowd again being emblematic of the four friends um, and the paralyzed man as being open to what god's doing and open to um or desiring to get in the presence of god and you see the scribes who seem cynical, um, skeptical. They're kind of, um, they're, they would be like the religious elites that are trying to keep um, this kind of kingdom of God thing that Jesus is talking about down. Um, and they're, they're closed to the movement of God. And so when, when then God is doing that work right in their midst with this paralyzed man, instead of being open to that possibility of it being God's work, they're skeptical um, and closed to the movement of God. Um, so I just kind of left us with where where are we at? Like which which group are you in this? Are you desperate to be in the presence of God, or are you caught more um, in in a sort of like maintaining the status quo or the institutionalized kind of state? Like are you are you stuck there, um, like the scribes were? Um, and Jesus wants to confront us on that.
0: What's interesting about that is like when you look at the two, like I, I know that you know maybe this is just the way that we we grew up reading stories, but we always want a villain. Yeah, and when you think about this story, like you think about the the friends, you know, they're kind of like they're the ones that we want to be like. They're the ones that have the faith and you know, ingenuity to go through a roof, and they'll do anything to get to Jesus, which is a powerful thought. And then we, I kind of naturally want to make the scribes the villain. Yeah, but as you described a little bit, one of the things that was sort of interesting and convicting is, um. This, the idea that they want to protect the scriptures, that comes from a good spot, yeah, right? Like, yeah. the initial reaction or, and why the, the institution, as you say, of you know, scribe hood, yeah. yeah, whatever yeah. that institution is called, national institution for scribes. for scribes, yeah, I think that's it, that's it, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not a bad It it doesn't come from a bad place, it comes from a place of wanting to prescript but protect scripture, so yeah, like, um. Yeah, what do you do with that? I guess, because when
1: that comes out in the scribes origin, right, is again, and I talked a little bit about that, how the, the scribes really originated out of that preserving the scriptures, particularly in times of like exile and say, we want to make sure this story stays front and center in our faith community. Um, and so they dedicated themselves to preserving the scriptures. That's a good, that's a good thing. That's, that's a very healthy, good thing. And a lot of good things came from that. But what happens over time, or at least why we kind of can see them a little bit more as the villain in the story, particularly like the Pharisees and the scribes, um, is as, you know, centuries went by where they were moved from their original kind of origin, uh, they've, they, they drifted from their original purpose. And so they became influential. They became powerful. Their interpretation of Scripture, their teaching of, of the text became more important than the very text itself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think institutions in general um, are, are that, it, it, you know, it's which we were talking before we, we hit record here, there's that tension to manage between where institutions offer a lot of good, but can then be idolized and can cause a lot of harm when we seek to protect the institution more than, as I said on Sunday, the God of the institution. Um, that we i think for the scribes they had lost the plot and they had been more focused on their particular take on the text opposed to the very god of the text Um, and so it isn't that we want to necessarily like in this instance um, you know it's not that we necessarily need to do away with the institution but we need to renew it we need to bring it back to its original kind of goodness where it was that protection of the scriptures Um, but that becomes a a, a challenge you know to to navigate that sort of institution. there's good and bad that comes from that
0: well, let me let me explore that a little bit with you because I think that we increasingly like the younger you are, I think the more disenfranchised with institutions. Yeah. Uh particularly institutions that have sort of drifted from, mm-hmm. you know, and this this goes way outside of just non-profit churches and nonprofits, but this yeah. is in yeah. general like the whole idea that the founder's mentality always kind of gets taken away and yeah. And every organization, whatever the original thing with it, sort of, if you're not careful, if you're not intentional, it takes a life of its own. And so I think that as you if you talk to a lot of you know young people that are looking at what's wrong with our world, they're gonna point at institutions and they're gonna say, These things are destroying our country. This is destroying our lives and our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get rid of it. So let me ask you like why why institutions? <laughs> yeah. Like you're yeah, saying, yeah. yeah, there's good and bad. And I think there's, there may be a lot of people that are asking, what's good about it? Like, why do we yeah. have it at all? You yeah. Know? And 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 I'll let you talk in a second, but I think there are a lot of pe- people when you when you start talking about church um, that look at the church and they say, look, I don't need a church to follow God. Mm. I don't need an institution for my faith. Yeah. That is not something I want. And they look at some of the the down things and we'll, maybe we'll discuss a little bit of this, some of the bad things that absolutely need to get addressed. Some of the, some of the evil that exists in some of the systems um, that are associated with our churches and that kind of thing need to get addressed. But what do you say to those people? Like what is yeah. the good? Why, mm-hmm. why do we need it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me start by yeah talking about the, an angle of, of where
1: the good comes from. Um, and then I think that'll help us navigate the way in which those institutions have been, Uh, corrupted or bent or twisted, uh, because certainly, certainly they have. And I think we see all sorts of examples of that. And so we'll, we'll get to that as well. And I think one more caveat before jumping in is there is always, um, always the propensity for people to start worshiping the institution church or otherwise, that's always can be the goal is we we can get to the place where we are more uh, enthralled with the form of church rather than the church itself. Mm. Uh, Or I should say, rather than um, the the reason the church exists, right? To to glorify God and to to encounter God. Uh, So I think going back to what you're saying around like the good of institution, you know, right now I think about um, Lindsay yeah, is, we're about to head out on vacation here in a like few days and we're going to go to her, um, graduation ceremony for a PhD conferring. And so we're going to, um, go celebrate her, but she's a part of this institution to become a clinical psychologist. And so in that, that institution, she has to do years and years of schooling, right? To be informed in the right way. And she has to take hours upon, I mean, thousands of hours of supervised, um, work where someone who is a professional and for, who already is a psychologist has to supervise her work in that field. Um, all of those things are sort of institutionalized steps she has to take to receive the title clinical psychologist. Now, if we were to kind of do away with all
0: institutions. You say this is just red tape. She doesn't need to do all that. Yeah. yeah. She already just knows all that psychology. It. She knows the stuff. She'll help people. She's learned a ton. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and she, she might. She's a great person. I assume she would. But the problem is, is without any sort of institutionalized structure and anyone could claim to be a quote psychologist, that becomes really problematic because we don't want just anyone doing therapy, right? You want someone who is a trained professional. You want someone in those particular fields who have the institutional guards that protect the kind of um, dignity of the work that they do. And so, if you were to do away with all institution, that becomes problematic because you open yourself up for all sorts of abuses of those particular things. If anyone can do you know let's take something like therapy um, if, if you if anyone can be quote a therapist without any sort of guardrails or those sorts of things, you open up the possibility for abusing that level of like power. And so institutions then do actually offer um, a level of uh, protection and and they're actually I I would think they they are in fact like a, a sort of gift from God when they're done in the proper way, mm. not worship, not abused, not corrupted. Which those can be, um, but those institutions are actually for our benefit to kind of
0: be guardrails against um, taking things off the rails. So what about like the church? How would you how would you what would you say like yeah. And by the way, I'm asking you this question not because I think we should get rid of all institutions. I'm yeah. just asking, you know, like. It's part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: totally. Well, the, the same thing, like that maps onto the same thing. What what's, uh, If you take kind of the example I just gave onto something like the church, um, it's interesting because particularly in the Protestant tradition, like we are, um, we, we were birthed out of pushing against the institution of the Catholic church. Right? That's what Luther does when he posts the 95 Theses. Yeah. He says the, the church is corrupt, it's broken, we need a, a reform, we need to start new. And so he does that. It's a, it's a good thing. It did need reform at the time. Um, and so he branches off. But part Although, of,
0: have you thought like how profitable indulgences would be? <laughs> Like if people came, we're like, all you got to do is just pay, just pay me like a couple yeah. grand. You're totally forgiven. You're totally good. We You're get a totally new, good. you know, speaker system for the church. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he thought of that. Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: but what, but so, so the point of that, though, is that so when the Protestant kind of tradition or stream branches out, it begins with a sort of deinstitutionalized ethos, right? Like mm-hmm. we want to break free from that. Uh, well, I think that, that, that again, can, is, is a good impulse, but if it doesn't create within it then some sort of structure to kind of guard itself, that becomes problematic, right? And so, like, to use CPC as, as an example, you know, we're a non-denominational Protestant church. And so we really aren't attached to any other larger hierarchy other than our own four walls, right? Our own kind of organization. Uh, but one of the things we do in order to kind of say, okay, we need some sort of structure so we don't just go rogue, right? Like. If, if there is no sort of accountability or structure, or structural accountability, I should say, uh, then you, you open yourself up for all sorts of issues. Well, one of the values we have here at CPC is, again, this, this leadership of elders. And the way in which the elder board functions is as a sort of institutional check so that no one person gets full power or access to, to whatever it is that that particular role or position would hold. Because it's a a sort of recognition of the brokenness and fallibility of humans. Mm. And so institutions offer the sort of kind of guardrail to say, people are flawed. People and humans are sinful. At our core, we will corrupt power that's given to us. And so institutions then help us check that. Mm. And I think when we kind of map back onto the story from Mark chapter 2, when we look at the scribes, is what had happened is they became a sort of institution that was meant to protect the goodness of scripture, but it can lose the plot along the way. And it, be, it can begin to elevate the, the structure opposed to the reason the structure was in place. And we do that, I think, in, in the church world. And, and we have to not burn it all down, right? We don't just burn the whole thing down. Although at times it feels like we should when the church fails in many, many ways, but it's okay. Now how do we actually reform those things? How do we bring them back to guard against that sort of to bring that accountability that we need uh, to ensure that, you know, to use the example of Lindsay again, not just anyone's a therapist, but like someone who's been trained and is under a code of ethics and uh, has formal training in the work that they do uh, because that holds, that holds people accountable.
0: Kevin, I got to tell you, um, first of all that I noticed that normally when we do this, you'll have like a cup of coffee or something and You'll take a break and you take a sip right after you say something. Now you finally pulled out a water bottle, but you haven't had that water bottle in your hand. <laughs> and instead of taking a sip of coffee, you stroke your beard. Like, I do. Uh, like the guy from, uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know what
1: it is? I think it's like a nervous tick that I have, but then I realized I was covering my mouth from the microphone. And so I like just tried to play it off, play it cool. Like you wouldn't notice and just rub my beard. I just beard. have never known you to be a
0: beard stroker. <laughs> You know, like oh, interesting strokes hmm, beard. Interesting point. Let the listener know I'm <laughs>
1: rubbing my beard.
0: <laughs> no, but I have to tell you, um, uh, this is this. Uh, I mean, this couldn't be more timely for where I'm at in my life because I, w- I was just doing, um, I was just doing this like Facebook death scrolling thing, and which is when you when you just kind of mindlessly scroll along Facebook and. Uh, I found this post where someone just said, uh, we need to talk about why people my age are leaving the church. And that's all they said on the post. And there was like hundreds and hundreds of comments. Yeah. And I started reading this. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm reading this from the perspective. I work at a church. Like I have worked yeah, for this institution, not this particular church, but I've, I've been involved in the church my entire life. Yeah. My dad was a pastor, yeah. supported, you know by the church and then i got into ministry like 19 years ago full-time vocationally and so i don't know that i could be any more embedded in an institution yeah yeah than i am right now and i'm reading this um these comments and um i want i so desperately i I found myself wanting some of them to just be like you know inaccurate and wrong and you know some of Mm. them were obviously you know Pretty outlandish with some of their comments and unhelpful and, and that kind of thing. But there was a lot of people that were just pointing out sort of the failure yeah. of the church. And when yeah. I say the failure yeah. of the church, one of the things that really struck me is it's not a failure of the kingdom of God. Mm. It's not a failure of of Jesus yeah. and how He asks us to live or following Jesus. It's it's it was a failure of the institution and where this has gone wrong and they kept bringing up, um, spiritual abuse and, and even physical abuse. Like what we talked about, you, you mentioned a little bit with this yeah. Southern Baptist convention, um, ordeal. And, and, um, you know, a lot of them were, were, saying it's just either just a bunch of frauds that just want money. And, but what, what, what really, um, struck me as I was reading it was these weren't people that have written off God. These weren't people that are saying, I just don't believe it anymore. I'm an atheist. There are people that Mm -hmm. are saying, I believe that there is something to this. Yeah. But I don't want the church. I I don't want to be involved with the church part of it anymore, with the institution part of it. And I left that thread as a pastor feeling pretty discouraged. Yeah. Just because, you know, um, partly discouraged. And also, to be really honest, Uh, partly very very happy that I'm at the church that I'm at Mm. because like you said um, this church has very very intentionally set it up set up their leadership in a way that it's it's hard to get a voice if you just want a voice Mm. it has to be it's usually almost everything is by unanimous decision. And that comes at a cost to our organization. Yeah. Things move slowly. When I first got here, I was like, <laughs> why can't we just make a decision? What color do we want the drapes? Like, can we just make this decision? Yeah. And yeah. over the years, it's graded on me. And it's kind of ground me down a little bit to realize like we want that slowness. And you and I have had these conversations. I tend to kind of shoot at the hip and say, why can't we just do this? And you're like, Brandon, you want to be at a church that takes these decisions seriously. Yeah, You want to be at a place that uh, a rock star doesn't have the biggest voice. Because that's kind of what what has happened is if you have a lot of, like you said earlier uh, in a conversation that we had, if you have success, quote unquote success as a ministry, that's kind of the thing that gets you in. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times success is numbers or, yeah. you know, resources, and resources, charisma. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And so I don't really know what to do with this, Kevin, but I just, yeah. I'm, what would you tell someone that's sort of discouraged or maybe disfra- disenfranchised as they yeah. look at the institution Yeah, and how do we salvage it? And And what would you say to someone yeah. that maybe does want to just yeah. get rid of them all? Let's mm. just let's just have a grassroots movement of, of church. Well, how would you, how would you respond yeah. to that?
1: Yeah. I love the way you phrase, like, as you're reading that thread and as I've seen so much of the, the, um, almost appropriate fallout to something like this, um, SBC, you know, story that's coming out of how they've covered up or, um, brushed, uh, brushed under the rug, like decades of sexual abuse within their, their denomination, like, there's almost a level of appropriate, like, reaction against that, that that young people pulling away saying, I want nothing to do with that because it is broken. And and, and so part of me is, like, I love that you were able to identify that difference between, like, even, even I think those that are leaving the, quote, church recognize, like, this is a failure of institution. And hopefully they don't loop it in and say it's a failure of Jesus and the kingdom of God. My fear is they do because the church is... Uh, in theory, supposed to be that representation of the kingdom of God, and yet we have failed so many times, so heinously, um, as a story like what's coming out of of the SBC right now, um, which you know, in some sense, like the, the first part of me just says like, you know, I, I was talking to someone after um, second service this past weekend, and we were just saying like it it is so hard when these sorts of stories break because. We are, as much as we want to say we're not connected, we are like in the sense of that is, we are a part of this big C church and we hope to revive and and protect our corner of it here at CPC, at 1005 Shell Avenue. Like we hope that we do that well and faithfully and humbly and in recognition of our own propensity for sin and shadow side and brokenness. And so we create those guards, but at the end of the day, like we are still the church of Jesus. So you can look back at the ways in which it even like perpetuates like something like racism or as we're seeing now, like this, these sex abuse scandals and the failures. I mean, there's just there's no two ways about it. Like the church has failed over and over again. Um, and there's there's really no excuse for it. So often I just begin when I encounter people who have been hurt by the church by just saying, you know, what, I'm sorry. That isn't the posture that I, I'm sorry that this has been the experience of Jesus's bride and Jesus' church. And so much of I think our work in this time begins there, um, but yet there's also this other side where where we we apologize and part of our own like sorrow and grief and lament at the state of the church, the ways the ways we've perpetuated, the ways we've contributed, is to then try to make it better and to recognize in yeah. fact that that Jesus has called us to be the bride of Christ, and so how do we then not? Um, we abandon the things that need abandoning, the broken structures, the injustice that's perpetuated. We do, in fact, abandon those things. But we also then come back and try to the best of our capabilities with the partnership of the Holy Spirit, all that, to say, but this church is something that Jesus has not given up on. And we have to differentiate that between this has not been a failure of Jesus and the kingdom of God. It's been a failure of humans, um, of the institutions getting in the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God so then how do we create you know um ways in which we come back to that the church and and find and mine it's good and it's beauty and and begin to elevate those
0: and i would like to be really clear in what you just said kevin like there's there's a big difference between what i what i saw happening on that thread yeah as an example between saying Look at all this bad. Someone's saying, "Look at all of this bad that's happening. What in your system is causing mm. this bad to happen?" And and well-meaning Christians coming to the rescue of the institution, saying, "But look at all the good. Yeah. Just look yeah. at all the good we do. Just look at my church is different. We do look at all this good things. And it's not that." It's not that we don't do good things. It's not that good things come out. But when there's, when there's something happening that's broken, when there's some kind of systemic abuse or systemic problem, like us, us pointing to the good we're doing says we're not going to deal with the bad. We're just going to say the good justifies the bad. Yeah. That's not what you're saying. No. What you're saying is we have a dream for the future of, of the organization, and that dream includes being ruthless about this stuff. And so that you know, as you're listening, so that you know where, where we're looking at this, like the good doesn't justify the bad, but we are committing to being ruthless and making sure that we build systems in place that we use the institution for the good that it can be and make sure that we orient this organization so that those things have the, the least likelihood of existing. And there are a lot, of, like you said, the elders, the way that we structure leadership, the way that we do everything kind of in groups, it's, it's it may be inconvenient sometimes, but but it's all part of it, you know? Like, like we don't allow our youth pastors to, to drive in a car with with students um, on their own because we just want to mitigate all of that thing. So we're going to be, wherever we can, we're going to be ruthless and make sure that we do everything that we possibly can do to make sure that those types of things don't enter our organization.
1: Yeah. When, you know, when, when you get into a mode that says like the good covers up the the bad, you know, which is such a a heinous spot to be. The problem with that in church circles is it makes the church, the center of the story and not Jesus. Mm. Right. And, and you know, the metric for the church has never been like, what is the good it does? Like that's not the barometer in which we measure if we're, um, in line right like the the metric is not the good we do the metric is faithfulness to jesus which then necessitates that the means in which we go about doing ministry are just as important as the ends they do Mm. and so we can't ever divorce the methodology the practices in which we do the work we do from its end goal whereas so so all that to say like the 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 ends never justify the means in the church yeah. um, because that has to be faithful to the way of Jesus because we're not the star of the story. CPC is not the star of the story. Jesus is. And so when Jesus is the star of the story, when he's the one that is center above all, it's not up to us if this thing is successful. I mean, again, we lose the plot so easily. Jesus died on a cross. It looked unsuccessful. And yet that was the, the, the pinnacle of the kingdom of God. Interesting. And somehow we think efficiency, success, goodness is the metric, and it just never has been in the kingdom of God. Now it will. Like Jesus' work clearly does that. We still celebrate with millions of people around the globe. Like Jesus has used that, but we 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 succumb to sort of um, worldly metrics of success for us to measure that, and we just function in an altogether different way. Um, that says no, faithfulness to Jesus is how we are marked um, by success. Um, if we if we want to use that word, I don't even necessarily love that that word success there, but but it's that idea of our, our we have to measure um, how we are as a church based on our faithfulness to the
0: way of Jesus, which is a much harder words. measure than a metric than a, yes. me, than a numbers metric or a yeah, finance yeah. metric. Kevin yeah. always tells me we always have this conversation I I think I just sent you a meme on this, um, yeah. But like what you like as church people, you know, we have strategies around. How do we... Um, reach people. Yeah, how do we reach whatnot? people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and you always say, what you win them with, you win them too. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, like I remember being part of a youth group where they offered uh, a free iPod. If you if you invite <laughs> a friend your friends or whatever. Or whatever. You know? Yeah, you can get in on a raffle. Or, yeah, yeah, big, yeah. So you get, you know, and um, me coming in here being like, what a great idea. You know, what if we yeah. just offered everybody like... The opportunity to win five thousand yeah. bucks if they come to an Easter service, you know, <laughs> it's like what you win them with. In this case, an iPod or yeah. five thousand dollars. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what you're winning them to. You're not yeah. winning them to Jesus. Yeah. Like, who are you fooling? Yeah, yeah you think yeah, they're yeah. going to come in and then you bait and switch and be like, actually, Jesus is really the main event. I know yeah. you came here for five thousand dollars. They're going to be like, hey, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. you know, so that's what, kind of what it makes me me think of. Yeah. And so I think when we, you know,
1: just when we drill down, so we've been talking kind of at this high level institutionalism, church and this or that, you know, one of the things I tried to draw out in the sermon was what does this look like individually, right? Because I imagine for you listening here who aren't on staff, who aren't leading a church, you're thinking, okay, what do I do with this? Well, I think there's, there's one like that that sort of accountability structure like you're a part of that so recognize that Mm. but but i think even more so and i think where where the scribes maybe lost the narrative is they were falling in love much more with their interpretation of scripture than it was the god of the scripture Mm. and at, at times we can we can make that same mistake and and can fall in love with like again i think um as i mentioned You know, CPC has such a beautifully rich history of expository preaching and elevating the scriptures, all of which are are very much a reason I'm I'm at this church because I I have a profound respect for that. Um, But yet, I think one of the blindsides to that is we can actually um, end up worshiping scripture more than we worship the God of the scripture. And we we have to kind of fight to recognize um, something like scripture, something like the, the collective gathering, something like um, worship or communion or all of those things are means to communing with God, to coming into connection with God. And so often we lose the narrative and make those things more important, um, than, you know, the, that, that, quote institution, like scripture, more important than the God of the scriptures. And we have to be so careful with that.
0: Yeah. So how do, how do we, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we guard against that? Like how do we know if we're too far on that line that we're you know um, valuing scripture over the God of scripture like what yeah what are the signs you know yeah
1: It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> yeah, I want to be careful the way I word this. Good theology, uh, which is like thinking about God, right thoughts about God or study of God, good theology will always marry right action with right belief, mm. and I think at times when we can do something like worship scripture, opposed to the God of the scripture, we can get more caught up with right belief than we do right practice. Yeah, And if we ever divorce kind of what we think from the way we're acting and doing, we're veering into something other than what I would say is good theology or good proper worship of God. And so I think that might be an indicator of like, oh, interesting, I'm much more caught up in fighting about this nuance of who is my neighbor when Jesus talks about love your neighbor opposed to saying who is my literal neighbor that I share a property line with that I should love.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: There's that sense in which in, in that moment I am now moving from just the study, the proper study of scripture that needs to take place to inform our action and our actions that inform the way we enter into, um, into study. But both of those things have to come together. And if we find us like, like the scribes were in this story, sitting back thinking who's this guy I think he is this jesus healing yeah, yeah. somebody like they didn't respond initially with someone's sins being forgiven as something to celebrate they were quibbling over G- whether jesus had the authority to do so and and jesus kind of calls them on that and he's like why are you thinking these things and then he asks that interesting question right which which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk mm. And I think it honestly, I think it, it quite literally stumped them because it's, it's actually a really interesting question. Yeah. And Jesus essentially says, I'm going to do both. I'm going to forgive his sins <laughs> and I'm going to heal the guy. And, and you would think that that should, if, if we're worshiping the God of the scriptures and not the scriptures itself, to use that metaphor, um, mm-hmm. then that would well up in worship. It would well up in a praise for the movement of God, not a cold kind of closed off posture to the movement of God and the kingdom of God. Um, so I think somewhere in there, if, the, if you're always approaching Scripture with the posture of skepticism or um, judgment, again, ah, this, this preacher, he's saying the wrong thing here or this, or he's not, a, he's not in the right you know, theological construct for this, um, then I think we're veering away from the story. But again, I don't want to say that in a way that denigrates proper yeah. study of Scripture and pursuit of knowledge, because um, that's desperately needed as well, and so th- there's a, there's a tension to manage there again of like both a love of scripture, but but realizing that love of scripture is is in service to loving God, right? And if those are ever divorced, then we, then we have a problem. And believe me, I've I've, no, I've been in many many um, situations where either I personally have struggled with that, having gone to, to you know, geez, um nine plus years of of some sort of formal Bible insti- you know institutions. And either I've had a propensity to that—to fall in love with my own kind of theological thinking and, and fall in love with that over Jesus, or I can tell you I've, I've, I've watched it countless times. People who fall way more in love um, with with their study of Scripture than they do the God of the Scriptures.
0: Yeah, I think you you get so focused on the what you're doing that you lose track of the bigger story. Which, if you look at the scribes, yeah. that's exactly what what happened, right? Like you said, yeah. that originally the their whole thing was to protect scripture which is a great thing you know yeah. it's a, it's a great thing and they get so focused on that that they lose the broader picture of things and yeah uh, i think that's what you're talking about you know for instance like if 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 you and if if scripture somehow gets in the way of something that jesus is calling you to do like relationships if that stops yeah. you from from connecting with somebody because of something that you're you're reading yeah, then, yeah. then chances are you've gotten too narrow on what you're doing. You need to broaden it and realize this is ultimately about Jesus. And the most challenging
1: part about this is, is again, I, I don't know, I mean, it's historically, it's such a privilege for us to be able to have a Bible in our hands. Like, like I have, I, I couldn't even tell you how many Bibles I quote own, like either at home or in my office or whatnot. Like I'm guessing it's upwards of like 10 to 15. Do you still have the, the teen study Bible? <laughs> I might actually, I might have that. I'd have to go back and look, but like, we forget that like historically until the the, the advent of the printing press, that wasn't a reality. Like you couldn't just hold the Bible. Um, and so there's something nuanced there, but then there's also this weird nuance of the fact that we have the Bible and, and, and the scriptures are the revelation of who God is. Um, and so there is like, I don't know how we could love God without the Bible now, as far as like. The fact that we have it accessible to us, yeah, yeah. right. And if it, given our context in, in the modern Western world, you have access to a Bible, whether it's on your phone or wherever. And so there is a a massive role that Scriptures play, probably a almost a fundamental role in loving God. Um, but it always has to be checked with again. It's in service to loving God, um, not an end unto itself. And that's the that's the tension, right? Is um, that is, it is the clearest revelation. It does play a massive role in our discipleship to Jesus. Um, but it isn't the end. It isn't the end goal.
0: So I want to, I want to leave us with a final thought. And that is like, when you when kind of talking about this, um, the whole thing that opened up this confrontation to the institution was Jesus forgiving, mm. um, the paralytic man. And it's kind of interesting. Like he comes, they do this whole spectacle to get healed, and before he ever heals them, the first thing he says is, uh, your, sins, sins are, "Your sins are forgiven." Your sins yeah. are forgiven. Yeah. Um, and then later he's healed. What do you? What do you? What do you make of that whole thing? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's interesting that Jesus chooses this idea of forgiveness to be the center point of this episode, um, because you know what Mark often does is he's placing. Um, the identity of Jesus in the kind of in the characters of his story, like he's asking this question, "Who is Jesus?" And what he often does will we'll answer that question through the words of others in the story, or through the thoughts here of the scribes, of like he is in fact God who can forgive sins. Um, and so it's interesting that this for, act of forgiveness, uh, which mm-hmm. is the first time we've seen it in the Gospel of Mark, I believe, um, becomes this sort of also this this kind of watershed moment of. What we know of Jesus, we know of God, and so this first kind of um, act of forgiveness of sins is what we're learning: is that God is a God who who forgives sins, uh, which is which is profound, right? for For all of us, we have that way in which we've made a mess of life, the way we've screwed life up, and all of us need that that forgiveness of sins. And right, kind of at the center of that um, is how Jesus or how Mark. through Jesus, you know, kind of utilizes that sort of confronting of institutionalism through that. And there's a sense in which that love of God, that power, the the powerful act of Jesus' forgiveness of sins, confronts us in that kind of narrow sense that you're talking about. For the scribes it was narrow and it wasn't this this more broader love and grace of God that he gives. Um, And and you know we don't know much about the friends or the paralytic man. Uh, but there's the only qualification they seem to have is a sort of faith that if they got into the presence of Jesus, something good would happen. Mm. And and that's what drove them. Right. And even then, like Mark is pretty nebulous on whose faith it was. It just says when Jesus saw their faith, which is like those guys over (laughs) there, like it isn't necessarily like a very narrow, this person's faith. It was just their faith. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And so there's, there's something about this forgiveness that is, Something that comforts us because we're in need for it, but then desperately confronts our religiosity, mm. um, and and we're not the ones who who offer that forgiveness. Only God alone does that. As the scribes get right, but what they didn't see is that again, Jesus was in fact claiming that title because yeah. He is that. Um, but it's it's no doubt forgiveness is this massive um, center
0: core of who God is, um, and and Mark seems to be making that clear. It's first and foremost. That's like Jesus's. Yeah. First agenda item yeah. in this situation. Yeah. You know, is first I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna make sure that you know your sins are forgiven. And then I'm gonna deal with then I'm gonna deal with the problem. That's
1: sort of holistic healing, right? Both the physical and the spiritual aspects of this man. Um, that he needed both. Uh he may not have realized he needed both, yeah. but he yeah. needed the forgiveness of sins and he needed to walk. And Jesus says, I've come to bring this holistic healing to who you are, both material and spiritual. Because again, that's, that's who we are as humans. We are made from the dust and God has breathed the spirit into us. We are spirit and material and God cares about both those things um, and brings healing in this instance to both.
0: Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap here. Um, I, just, I just feel like uh, if, if anyone is out there struggling with some of this stuff that we talked about and maybe this is where your head's at and um, you just want to reach out to us and, and hear a little bit more um, about any of this stuff, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to email me or I don't know, probably shouldn't email Kevin, but you can email, you email me. me okay. Okay. Email you can email me Okay. You can email Kevin. I'll take um, them all. Yeah. The good doctor, good the good almost doctor at uh, gmail.com. <laughs> at hotmail.com or something. Now you can find our emails on the, on the CPC website, but we'd love to hear from you and love to, to talk with you through this. And, um, I think, I think, uh, what I've been left with after my, um, Depressing escapade on uh, Facebook is um, exactly what we kind of talked about. That there there is hope in Jesus, and Jesus can um, redeem what may what we may feel is beyond redemption, and that the church is still Jesus's plan um, for the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God. You know, He lived into it, so. Um, let there be hope there and don't, don't walk this journey alone. Allow us to walk it with you. Um, until then, we will uh, we'll see you next time.